Okay, we are live, and today we have an incredibly special episode. For Mother's Day, which just happened, this is going to come out on Thursday, so Mother's Day would have been on Sunday. I am not joined by Jamie today. In fact, I'm joined by someone better than Jamie, I would say. <laughs> I'm joined by Jamie's mom. Maureen. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Hi, Anthony. I'm good. How are you? When I started telling some of our big fans of this show that we were going to do this episode, uh -huh. and I started asking people, do you have any questions? I was inundated with questions. I had to filter questions out. You are a celebrity. Jamie's talked about you quite a bit had some great stories, had some great anecdotes, and you've just become a, a recurring topic of this show. So it's really exciting to have you here. Well, I thank you, Anthony. What's it like being Jamie's mom? <laughs> it's, um, it's fun most of the time. We have most great of the time? <laughs> yes, it is most of the time. <laughs> we have our moments. Where, mm -hmm. um, well, we do have our moments, but conversations with Jamie, I really look forward to. He's, he's really a great human being. I've always been probably his biggest fan and very yeah. proud of him. I could get emotional, but, um, Jamie is, uh, gosh, Anthony, I'm stumped. He's amazing. He's my son. Yeah. Yeah. He's my son and he's got great friends and I like that. And we have great conversations. If I've watched a show, him and I will sit and discuss the show. And I don't know, Anthony, it's a hard one because I'm his mom. And moms think their kids are wonderful. And I think my son is wonderful because he is. He is wonderful. Yes. And he thinks you're wonderful. We've talked about you quite a bit. You've raised a great son. He's so thoughtful and he's so articulate. We have great conversations. We get really deep and philosophical sometimes. We joke around a lot. Do you have a favorite memory of Jamie when he was growing up? <laughs> yeah, I, I do, Anthony. Oh, it came right up. <laughs> well, he was quite young. Yeah. Um, and we had a dog, a lab, Isaac. And Jamie was... He was sitting in this um, kind of, a, well, he was sitting at a, at a kid's table and he was eating some French fries. And Isaac came along and took the French fry right out of his finger. Jamie had a fit <laughs> and he yelled and he demanded that that dog be punished right this instant. <laughs> and Isaac walked to the back door and sat at the back door because he needed to be punished. And that was Jamie. He was absolutely furious. But once Isaac was punished, everything was fine. <laughs> and actually, there's some really great stories too. Um, Halloween, when the kids used to go out for Halloween and they'd bring back their treats. Well, most kids, or I'm assuming most kids, would sit with their bucket of treats and eat them. Well, Jamie would take little bunches and hide them around the house. So I would be cleaning something, 
and come across a little pile of Halloween treats because Jamie, like, I, I'm not quite sure why, but he liked to hide little bundles of candies all around. <laughs> Just in case, I guess. That was my son. Did you end up punishing Isaac? <laughs> no, Isaac automatically went to the back door when Jamie yelled. So he knew. Oh, he did know, yeah. He knew. Yeah, yeah. But they were pretty close, too, because Isaac would, uh, I, I remember Jamie was pretty young and he was upset and he was sitting on the couch. And Isaac came up and Jamie was crying and he licked his tears. And it was just, Aww. yeah, it was wonderful. That's right. Yeah, they were buddies. That's about it, Anthony, I guess. I th- Well, I could go on a lot about when Jamie was younger. Go ahead. Well, he used to line his, you know, the little toy trucks and cars? Yeah. He used to line them up along the baseboards all along the house. <laughs> and they would be there all lined up, all ready to go. <laughs> yeah. And then he plotted one day when he was much older how he could rig up his bedroom so that when his sister walked in, things would trip. And I caught him doing it going, well, if I put that there and that there. And uh, when I asked him what he was doing, he was <laughs> he w- he was fixing his room so that if she walked in, he would know it because something would fall. <laughs> yeah, that was Jamie. But he was also a sweetheart, too. How young was he at that point? Um, I'm not sure. Like, that's pretty impressive for a kid to be basically building machines <laughs> out of toys. Yeah, he was really good at that, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He liked that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, he still does. He's definitely got the mind of a problem solver. Yeah, he's very good at that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He likes to be presented with a problem and then work endlessly to solve it. Yeah, he does. Sometimes too much. He'll stay up all night trying to solve a problem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Especially when he's excited about solving the problem. Yeah, he was good. He was my son. He is my son. Okay, well, enough about Jamie. Yes, let's let's get past that. He's wonderful. I think he's wonderful. Let's talk about something else. He's great. But I want to know more about you. Me. Um, were you from Thunder Bay originally? Yep, I was born and raised in Thunder Bay. Okay. I traveled around. Uh, I guess first time I left, I think I was probably maybe 18, and I lived in Winnipeg, and I came back. Then I moved to Windsor, and I lived in Sarnia. What did I do from that? Well, from Sarnia, I came back for a bit. I spent a, tra- a summer traveling around Canada. How were you doing? I did, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of those old Volkswagen vans and had a guitar and amped on the beach. Yeah, I did all that. I lived in Ottawa for a bit, too. Did you? Yeah, I had a wonderful time. I really did. I enjoyed myself. Ottawa's great. I loved Ottawa. always did. Yeah. 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 I was thrilled when Jamie decided to go to Carleton because he was gave me an excuse to go back to Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. Where in your travels were you when you met Jamie's dad, Jerry? Oh, I was here in Thunder Bay. Actually, it wasn't long after I moved back from Ottawa. Okay. And Jerry Jerry had been living in Toronto, and he moved back here. His parents were here, and they were older. And he moved back here, and I met him here. We used to go 
um, I worked at Abbott Tibby and on paydays, we all headed up to the hotter <laughs> for a drink on payday. And, uh, Jerry happened to be there one day and we met and we were married a year later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just met at a bar. Yeah. In a bar. Amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then did you two travel a lot together? Well, yeah, it, in Canada, we, we did. Um, but then Sarah came along. So for those who don't know, Sarah is Jamie's older sister. Yes, Sarah's Jamie's older sister. So once she was born, we didn't do a whole lot. We would try to do a summer trip, maybe to Niagara Falls or something like that. We did little trips and then Jamie came along and then we did do little family trips, but nothing really major. Not until uh, Jamie would have been in high school and we went to Disneyland. Him and his, yeah, it was a treat for his sister. It was her last year of university. And so we took the two of them to Disneyland and we did Disneyland. I think it was three days at Disneyland and I don't know, three days at sea or something or right. three days at Disneyland and four days at sea. We did the Disney cruise. But there was a lot of family stuff in between that, Anthony, where we would go down to, uh, what is it? Is it the Horseshoe Valley Resort? And then we went out to Alberta and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't do a whole lot of major stuff once the kids were born. Right. We stuck to Canada. A couple of to the States, but no. So when you went overseas, it was? That was after, yeah. And that was after I retired. Jerry had retired, Jamie's dad, and I had retired. And so we decided it would be nice to do London and Paris. And so we did that. And we did a couple of cruises and did Myrtle Beach and uh, Myrtle Beach, Virginia, uh, Virginia in the States, Cuba. Mm. Oh, the nicest trip was the Rocky Mountaineer. We did, uh, we took a cruise up to Alaska. When we came back to Vancouver, we took the Rocky Mountaineer, and that was wonderful. Is that the train that goes through the mountains? Yes, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. it looks beautiful. It's incredible. It's well worth it. And you sleep on the train, right? No, actually, you don't. Oh, you don't? No, you. Um, it's all daytime on the train, because you do... When I was much younger, I took via rail oh. out was it coming back from Vancouver. I'd flown out and I was, took Via coming back. And Via always went through the most scenic parts of the Rockies at night because that was also the scariest part. Perfect. So Rocky Mountaineer, you got on the train in Vancouver in the morning and everything through the, through the mountains was during the day. So at night you stopped and stayed in a motel. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. And you were, they had the buses there. They bust you to the motel and then bust you back to the train. And, and the mornings were always champagne and orange juice when you got on the train. It was very nice. Very nice. My, my biggest disappointment of that whole trip, though, um, I love the movie Dr. Shivago. And there's a scene in there where, um, Omar Sharif, and Laura are in a buggy going through a snowstorm and she's all dressed in white and it's 
absolutely incredible after that. I love that scene. That was filmed in BC. No way. I always thought that that was filmed in Europe, you know, some nice romantic place. And we went, we went through where that movie, that scene was filmed. And I thought, oh. That was disappointing. Well, it was hugely disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was really a nice trip. It was great. And you've been to Paris. We were just talking about that. Yep. Wait, did you go to Europe before this trip? Yes. Paris was uh, before okay. the Rocky Mountaineer. Yeah. Okay. So you weren't. It, I thought maybe you went through this trip. You realized that was in BC and not in Paris. And part of you were like, I have to go see Europe now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we went to Europe first and we did the channel. Um, I wanted to do, yeah, I wanted to do that. So we went to London first, and then we took the the channel over to Paris. And it was very nice. A lot of walking, a lot of walking, a lot of cobblestones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're traveling with Sarah and Jamie, Mm -hmm. do you have to think differently in terms of accessibility or... Like, do you have any advice or tips or tricks that you've learned over the years when you're traveling, thinking about accessibility? Um, e- yes. Whenever we're traveling with Sarah and Jamie or one or the other, we always checked to make sure that places were wheelchair accessible. Always. Uh, there wouldn't be anything. Nothing's worse than getting to your hotel and you're tired and you've been driving or you've been flying. And then all of a sudden, it's not accessible. And sometimes you could get into the hotel without any problem, but then you'd go to your room and, you know, it was fine. Everybody could wheel around the room, but the big thing was the bathroom. And people don't think about the bathroom and the accessibility. They think because you can get into the building, because you can get into your room, that it's accessible. But once you get into that room, you've got to be able to get into the bathroom. Yeah. And so you had to check and plan ahead of time to make sure that all that was going to work. And that was for everybody's benefit. You know, I mean, there's times, yes, you you could get into the room and maybe the bathroom door wasn't wide enough for the wheelchair, but you could still help somebody. But you're on vacation and everybody wants independence. Everybody wants to be able to do what they need to do with the same amount of dignity. And that would include the bathrooms being accessible and the rooms being accessible, all of that. And so you have to consider that. It's it's important. The the best, how do I phrase this? When we went on the Disney cruise, of course we said we were bringing two kids with two wheelchairs, so we need a room that is wheelchair accessible. Anthony, it was amazing. Absolutely. Even even the balcony was extra big. The bathroom, you could hold a party in. It was incredible. The whole thing was, it was, uh, it was one of the best. And Jamie's sister has taken a cruise on another cruise line and she found the same thing with them that, um, the accessibility wheelchair, when it came to the wheelchair was amazing. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, some resorts aren't quite at that level yet. Yeah, it's like I've heard that cruises are generally pretty accessible. I don't know what it is, if it's just 
the demographic of people that they target or if it's easier for them to do it. I don't know why they seem to think about it more for cruises than they do at resorts. But when you're traveling at a resort so many times, you're just left to spend so much of your mental energy and time trying to plan out ways of, you know, going to the bathroom or getting to the bed or going onto the balcony or just like you said, anything that strips your dignity away from you. Oh, yeah. You have to spend so much energy trying to just live the baseline that everyone around you is already living. Yeah, yeah. And it's a holiday and you shouldn't have to worry about those things. You should be able to relax and that should be there. And when, but then again, I guess maybe I'm contradicting myself, but it speaks to what people seem to, um, seems to think what accessibility is. It's, it's, it's interesting. Even now with some buildings and even some apartment buildings or condo buildings, they will say we're wheelchair accessible. Well, yes, you have a button on the front door and that's it. Right. You're not wheelchair accessible. You have a button. Yeah. You have an automatic door. And once I'm in that building, that ends there. Yeah. Because there aren't any buttons anyplace else, but you could get in off the street. It's interesting, Anthony. I find it fascinating what uh, what people consider accessible. Well, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, and you had a great tip for a trick to to check if something is accessible in advance. My normal method is to just call ahead and say, are your wheelchair accessible? Then they will say yes or no. And then I kind of just have to assume that their yes is the same as my yes. And that <laughs> hopefully if they say we're accessible, then I'll go there and I'll have no issues. But then sometimes you run into, yeah, we're accessible, but there's a step or yeah, we're accessible, but the bathroom is downstairs. And you had a pretty good trick for a way to ask if something is accessible that will then prove to you whether it will actually work. Yes. You should ask if there is a ramp or where the ramp is to get in. Right. Yes. And actually, the other thing, too, um, is um, because one of the restaurants here has two washrooms. It's an older building. And one is on the main floor. And that one is very wheelchair accessible. But the main bathrooms that are marked his and hers are in the basement. So that one has taken care of the one problem. So when you're making reservations someplace, you need to cover all the bases. You need to ask if there is a ramped entrance and whether or not there is a wheelchair accessible washroom on the main floor, not the basement. Doesn't do anybody good down there. Unless they have an elevator, which they usually don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, it brings up a good point that like when someone says something is wheelchair accessible or even accessible, that means so many different things to so many different people. It does, yes. Yeah. So really it shouldn't just be a black and white this is accessible. It should be a list of features that you think make it accessible. Like you said, like 
the bathroom is accessible, there's a ramp to get in, and then you can start to see, because like, when I go to a restaurant, if they, if I find out that the, the bathroom isn't accessible, although I will admit that doesn't really make it an accessible restaurant, no. I can still make do, because I can probably get through a dinner and some drinks and be home in time to go to the bathroom. But someone might not be able to hold it that long, or they might need to use the bathroom for some reason. And so you need to know before you get there if it's going to yes, be an option. Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes like wheelchair accessible, or it's also the maneuverability once you get in there. I mean, we've gotten into restaurants, sure, that had a ramp. It was wonderful. Okay. But then there's all these tables <laughs> and you've got to get a wheelchair through there. Okay. And there's always somebody. Why is that, Anthony? There's always somebody <laughs> just doesn't get that shuffling in a bit isn't enough room for that wheelchair. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so annoying. Oh, the number of times, it, even if I'm in an elevator and I'm logically the last person to get out because I'm furthest from the door. Everyone will try to like cram into the corner of the elevator to let me get out first. And it's like, I appreciate that you're trying to accommodate me and give me that. But it's way easier if you just get out so that <laughs> I can move. I know. I know. Like if I was able-bodied, you would be leaving first because you're closest to the door. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It is very much, I guess it's a, a lack of awareness or something. But I was wondering that when you had Sarah, and uh-huh. then like both Jamie and Sarah have CP. Mm-hmm. And when you first, when you found out she had CP, and you sort of started to realize what that meant in her situation, Did you have to start to think about these things differently yourself? That's a good question, Anthony. Um, When a normal life for us in the house was wheelchairs, walkers, and crutches, right? Mm -hmm. So when something is a norm, you don't think about it a whole lot, but you become aware of if we were going out to any family occasion or like to a restaurant or something like that, it was always... um, necessary that it be wheelchair accessible i'm not sure if i'm answering your question anthony but well i guess you have to learn very quickly as a parent what what your kids need right but also like what you need to look for maybe some tricks that you need to to have in your sleeve to make things work in your situation oh well yeah i I guess you do it just i'm not answering your question very good. And I know that, Anthony. It's just that um, when Sarah came along and she was diagnosed, it just became part of the daily routine that yep. you did things. You did what she could do. You helped her do what she could do. But you also, both kids had to be raised to function in an able-bodied world, even though the able-bodied world needs to come, needs to adjust to um, a disabled world. At that point in time, they had to adjust to that. So we, they were raised to, Sarah said it really good. They weren't raised for their disabilities to 
dictate what they were going to do or not going to do. They were raised to do things the same as anybody else. There were things you had to do. There were things we didn't have a hurry up kind of household because that didn't work. If we had some place to be at 12 o'clock, you started getting ready at 930. You had to make allowances for something as simple as getting to the car. Didn't take two minutes. It could take five to 10 minutes. And you made those kind of adjustments. But after a while, those become your norm. So it's not an issue. It's not, it's just the norm. Right. So uh, I'm not sure I answered your question, Anthony. Oh, you definitely did. Because I think that's an important approach. And I think that's something my parents did too, where, you know, it's not so much, oh, you have a disability, so everything is going to be different. It's just like any kid is different. You have to approach every parenting decision differently based on the child. Yes. And so when you have a child with CP, or in my case, SMA, it's still just a series of differences that you have to account for in your decision making. Yes. Yeah. So when like you said, when it's your norm, you're not thinking about it as Jamie versus the able-bodied world. It's just Jamie. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well you just you just do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what parenting is, right? As yeah. a parent, it's your responsibility to support them and give them the best opportunities and every child learns differently and needs Mm -hmm. different physical accommodations and so you have to raise them up and in the case of your kids that's that just looks different because your kids are unique just like every other kid no matter whether they have cp or not that's right yes yeah but did you think about disability at all? Did you have any fears for your kids when they were growing up as parents? And if you did, I'm wondering if you have advice for parents of kids. Let's say like new parents who have kids with disabilities. Do you have advice? Do you think help would maybe would have helped you? Um, well, I got very involved in some of the organizations around. When it came to schooling, I was in a position where I could be involved in it, the kids, um, and helping out at the schools. And that makes a difference when you're in a position to do that. You make your presence felt, and therefore things kind of fall into line that way. Um, As for um, advice. Well, what were your, did you have fears? Was it something you thought about or just because it was so normal to you, you didn't really think about it? I didn't really think about it, Anthony. Um, I knew that I knew that Sarah and Jamie were going to have to be able to function when I wasn't around or their dad wasn't around, and that became a goal. So there might have been times when I had expectations when I would just say, "Well, I no choice. You got to do it." Right. Um, but I saw what they were capable of, not what they weren't capable of. Right. And you build on that. Okay. Um, when somebody said to me when Sarah was younger, and this is just an example, Anthony, well, she'll never be able to iron. I thought, don't be ridiculous. Of course she can iron. Why couldn't she iron, for God's sakes? That's so random. So, so 
I took her home and I got out the ironing board and an iron. And I said, you're going to iron, kid. Yeah. And she did. Yeah. And I thought, there you go. You're ironing. Why can't she? Yeah. And that was sort of how we approached things. It was, what do you mean she can't, they can't do that? Don't be ridiculous. Of course yeah. they can do that. They might be sitting in a chair. It might sure. take them twice as long. You might need a little help. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. That just means there might be a little more involved in getting it done, but you can certainly do it. Do you feel like when someone said your kid can't do something, that was really just motivation for you to prove them wrong? I don't know that it ran that deep, Anthony. But okay. <laughs> I just, um, no, I never really thought I had to prove anything. That's great. Except to to look after and to make sure that the kids, when they became adults, were ca quite capable of looking after themselves. Um you don't owe anybody anything, and you don't have to prove anything to anybody. That's such a refreshing mentality, because not only is that refreshing in general, but I think, I'll speak for myself, like, having a disability, it often feels like you have to prove something. Like, you have to prove that you can get a stable job, or you can, you know, whatever benchmarks you think matter to society you have mm -hmm. to like prove that you can do that otherwise you're not worth society's look at you or something and yeah. realizing at a certain point and to be honest like i'm still working to realize it more and more but realizing that you don't have to there's no right way to live there's no right thing to be you don't have to prove anything. That's so freeing. But I also think it gives you so much freedom to actually be the thing that you, like the best that you can be. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that one, Anthony. Um, I think, though, me saying you don't have to prove anything to anyone is an easy thing for me to say, because I'm not the one in the wheelchair, and I'm not the one that I know that that nice little person down the road, they're not, I'm not being judged. On, on, I'm trying to be kind about saying nice because I could <laughs> say other words, but, um, I won't. Um, it's totally different for somebody to be sitting in a chair who has CP or doesn't have CP, whatever they have, they are going to be judged totally different. Do I believe you don't owe them a damn thing? You owe them nothing. Right. But that doesn't mean that if I was that person, I wouldn't feel like that. So right. I, I encouraged, and whenever Sarah or Jamie would, would express concern, my answer was always, you don't owe them anything. You owe, you owe it to yourself to do the best you can. You don't owe it to the guy next door to be a perfect neighbor. But you should be at least polite and say hello. But you don't owe people. You owe them nothing. You're yeah. as intelligent, and you're, um, you don't owe them any, anything. You don't. And no. I, I get what you're saying, like your experience is obviously different than the person living with the disability, but yes. I still think it's important as a parent to also remember that you don't owe people anything, because I think sometimes, you know, when you first have a kid and you find out that they get diagnosed with some disability, there's probably an expectation or, or like a self-imposed expectation for some parents 
that they have to prove something. And I think that gets in the way. So you saying, I don't have to prove anything. I just have to make sure my kids have the best childhood I can give them. That's interesting you should say that, that best childhood. There was um, a mom that I met who had a child with with, uh, CP. And she said she knew that her daughter wouldn't be invited to all the parties or all the great things happening at other kids' houses. So she took it upon herself to make sure that the kids came to their house. She said, I made that house, our house, the best party house on the block. So that her daughter was not left out because the fun was at the daughter's house, which solved that part. It did. It was great. She made sure that her child had a wonderful, happy childhood. But at some point, that child wasn't going to be in the position to carry on that kind of party house. So she also needed to be equipped to run into the negativity that was going to happen. Once dear old mom wasn't there to make sure that was going to happen, you also have to make sure that the kids can handle, well, they're not kids then, they're adults, but life isn't Life isn't a party either. Right. That's probably not making much sense, Anthony, but... No, it is. Like, you... Sarah, um, Jamie had kids come to the house most of the time mm-hmm. because it just made sense to do that. Mm-hmm. This was where everything was within his reach. And so he did go to other people's houses, but he had friends here. <laughs> right. All hours of the night when he got older. But... That was the way it needed to be, I guess. You did what you needed to do. You, when I hear you talk about this, it's very similar to how my my mom talks about it. It's very yeah. much just like, uh, you know, you know it exists. You know that those perspectives that society has exist. You know that the barriers exist. You know that the limitations exist. But that's just what life is all about. It's all about just figuring it out your own way. Everyone has their own path, and you just do the best you can with what you've got. Well, that's true, Anthony. And and life life is is what it is. But and it isn't always going to be perfect. But that doesn't mean that you always accept it. You have to go through life, and you have to decide what you're willing to accept and what you're not. And that's to make your everyday life bearable right uh but that doesn't mean that if you that you quit trying to make things better i I don't know if this makes sense but you don't forget that you don't not get angry every now and again and write off that letter to your member of parliament there and tell them what you think about the accessibility within the city or you don't stop trying to change it but you owe it to yourself first to make your life what it needs to be in order for you to function. And then you tackle the extras because you're the one that has to survive in it. That's so wise. Um, it's, it, it goes back to the concept. Jamie and I have talked about it on here a little bit, but it's a concept that some people call learned helplessness. Have you heard of this term before? No, say it again. Learned helplessness. Oh, okay. So basically, it's the idea that, especially when you have a disability, it's easy to be reminded that there are certain things you are 
quote unquote helpless in terms of like helpless mm-hmm. to do certain tasks or achieve certain goals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so because some of those things are true, like mm-hmm. I'll never be able to climb a flight of stairs, but it's easy to take that and then apply it to other aspects of my life that I am in control of and say, oh, well, I have a disability, so I can attribute my disability to all of these areas I'm struggling, when in reality, my disability is probably only responsible for one or two of those things. That's very good, yes. We all have um, things that we're better at than others, but you don't let the things that you're not good at control what you are good at concentrate on what you can do concentrate on the positive parts of your life and you know when you say you'll never experience climbing chair climbing a flight of stairs yeah well okay yeah but doesn't mean that you can't be out and be be anthony that doesn't mean that you can't be the best that anthony can be right so you don't let that fact uh, control it. You don't let them hold you back. Okay, well, I can't climb that flight of stairs. Well, yep. Okay, I can go over here and I can do this and I can be damn good at that. Yeah. And that's to me what's important about it is you don't let the the disability consume you. You yeah. find the good because every day there is something good that happens. Sometimes it might just be that I don't know. There's a positive that happens every day. And you can find that positive and end your day on that positive, or you can find the most shitty thing that happened to you that day mm-hmm. and concentrate on that. And then, of course, then your stomach doesn't feel good and all the rest of it. Then you have a headache and you feel sick. So why would you do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't you try and concentrate? And that I know it's easier said than done. Sure. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. Right. Well, this is good advice from... In general, you know, like this is advice that is whether or not you have a disability, whether or not you're a parent of someone with a disability or a parent, this is just good advice to focus on the positives in life, to focus on what you can do rather Mm -hmm. than focusing on the negatives and what you can't do. It, It just makes you, I think, because your thoughts are more healthy your life will follow, you know, you'll make healthier decisions, maybe eat healthier foods. In general, I think your life will just improve with that mentality. And you're right, definitely easier said than done. And a work in progress for everyone forever. But do you feel like you've had these kinds of conversations with your kid or with your kids? Or do you think it just kind of you were leading by example? Like, did you ever sit down with your kids and, and say these kinds of things to them? Yes. You did. I, I have, because everybody has really awful days, and you talk about those awful days. And I, I guess I'm, I say it a lot. It's not easy. Um, life isn't always what you want it to be. But you have choices, and you can choose some things. And it's not always easy to look for the positive. But once you start doing it, it becomes easier. 
your choice. You can either focus on what a lousy, crappy day you had, or you can find something good in that day. Even if it's some random person that smiled and said hello to you, Mm -hmm. that was a positive. Think about that. Don't think about the moron that cut you off. Yeah. Think about the one that smiled and said hello. This is great advice. And again, advice that no matter what your situation is, I think this is really good. It's really a thing that you can do consciously throughout your day to try to just mm-hmm. improve your your mood, your your happiness, your perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think if five out of seven days you've managed to find something really positive, life is good. On the other hand, you know, Anthony, when you wake up in the morning, life is good already, isn't it? You woke up. That's a great point. Yes. Life is good. I woke up. I got another day. You're so You know, nice. you go for a walk. All you got to do is look around you a bit, but it's so much easier to concentrate yeah. on the other. There's always great stuff happening out there. I have a great time when I go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually I do. I've, I've had great conversations, random conversations with people in the grocery store. Made my day. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But you got to look for those things. And I guess if anybody said to me, ask me for any kind of advice, I'd say, find a positive from that day. Find one really good thing that made you smile. Because there is one. There's always one. Sure. Yes. But you got to find it. And sometimes I think it's a good exercise to find a thing that wasn't as good or maybe didn't make you smile at first and see if you can reframe it so that it isn't as bad as you once thought. Maybe there's a way to spin it to be a positive for you. Yeah. Sometimes rethink something that happened and realize that it really wasn't the way you thought it was, that it was actually maybe something else. And at the moment, you misinterpreted or all that kind of happy stuff. Yeah. Well, I had another question that came up a pretty funny amount of times. Um, so we both know that Jamie loves to play video games. It's a huge passion of his. It's pretty clear that this is has been a long time passion of his. This question came up a few times. What was Jamie's first toy? Do you remember? Or maybe the first toy that he really started to get attached to? Jeez, Anthony. Um, you know the the Teenage Mutant t- uh, the the uh, Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, he had a whole slew of those. And the other ones, the, um, oh, what were they? The, the um, super characters, you know, they were. Like superheroes? No, um, they were, when they first came out, they were, I can, I can see them running. What were they called? He had them all. There was a red one. There was a white one. Power Rangers. Ah, there you go. Yes, oh, yeah. Power Rangers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. But the, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, he really liked those. Yeah. I was the very same. I was obsessed with both of those things. I remember as a kid having a birthday party where I requested to have a Power Ranger come to my birthday party. And my mom hired some person with a Power Ranger costume to come pretend he was a Power Ranger. The funniest thing was I remember that I was a skeptical child 
I was still pretty young, like probably five years or so. And I remember not believing that this was a real Power Ranger. <laughs> so I said to my mom, if he's real, then have him come and transform in front of me so I can see him turn from street person to Power Ranger right in front of my eyes, and then I'll believe it. Oh, Anthony. <laughs> I just didn't believe her. So she like tried to, she's like, no, no, he can't do that. That's against the rules of being a Power Ranger or whatever. Yeah. And eventually I was like, the same way Jamie got mad at Isaac, I was like, I need to know immediately if this is real. So the guy's like, all right, fair enough. I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And then I'll transform in front of you back to my street clothes and I'll leave here. And I was like, okay, perfect. He goes to the bathroom and he just never came back. And I've never been the same since. <laughs> oh my God. I was devastated. I guess so. <laughs> That's a good one though, Anthony. Yeah. Did you have the Transformers? The Power Rangers didn't transform though, did no. they? Well, they turned like, they, they put on their outfits real quick. They called it metamorphosis or something like that. Oh, okay. But the Transformers, I know you're talking about the ones that turned from like animals. Yeah. Oh, no, there was, there was ones that turned from animals into people. And then there was ones that turned from cars and trucks into robots. Yeah, yeah Jamie had a couple of those, but it was the Ninja Turtles. He had every one of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're still here somewhere. Yeah, well, he has the arcade with them on it. Yeah, yes, he does, yeah. Okay, so we've covered toys. Now, this podcast, as you probably know, I'm sure Jamie has told you by now, is all about movies, which makes sense because we all love movies, and Jamie especially is very good at articulating what he likes about a movie, what he dislikes about a movie, what he thinks they could have done better. He just is very good at breaking down media. Yes, he is. He's kind of an encyclopedia when it comes to film and TV. He knows everyone. He knows every year that every movie came out, every actor that's ever lived. So it makes me wonder, do you have a memory of when this might have started do you remember the first movie that you watched with jamie that he just was glued to um no i don't remember the first one i'm trying to think anthony or one that really seemed to make an impression where do you think this love of movies came from do you think it was your love of movies handed down you know what i think that all started was um when he took that course in university at carlton he took a yeah he did just for fun uh, that's where i think he started to realize all the things that that were actually happening in a movie instead of just watching it and seeing a scene he started to appreciate more how things were done we used to halloween we <laughs> we used to sit turn out all the lights light a candle and watch all the scary movies we loved it but um no i think his real appreciation for movies came when he took that course 
because then he had a better understanding of what was happening and he could he could call um whatever was happening in the scene what it was and that was when it really kicked in because before that no he went to movies and you know he would come home and say that was a good movie or that was okay but the real true appreciation came after that course okay yeah so he sort of learned the language of how to watch a movie yes. how to dissect a movie yeah 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 and then he just has sort of a natural ability to but that course is the one that that really helped him he does have a natural ability to speak he's so eloquent and articulate and it's sort of become a theme on this podcast because i'm definitely not and jamie (laughs) talks very smartly and i just say dumb jokes all the time and it's become a bit of a theme he throws out these ten dollar words sometimes i don't even know what they are i don't know what's happening i have to bring a thesaurus with me or a dictionary every time we record You know what? I hear you, Anthony. Actually, one of the things about Jamie, when you're asking ask me of things that I remember, this was when I knew he was smart. Okay. I, yeah. Was um, I had this jar of, you know, like, like, um, and I was kept looking at it and I kept thinking, and I never said it out loud because I couldn't remember the name of what this jar with this stuff was in. And I kept thinking in my head, potpourri potpourri and i thought no it's not potpourri and jamie came along and he said mom what are you doing with that jar of potpourri and i thought what in god's name are you doing knowing that word where did you get that word from why would you know this was potpourri for god's sakes you were four years old And that's when I knew he was really smart. And and he used to say in school, when the kids would fight physically, he would say, that's okay, I'll just use my words. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Ooh, that'll pat more of a punch than the actual fist. Well, okay, son, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very smart because oh, you yeah. can't fight back physically. Oh, yeah. Anthony, you can flatten somebody with a good... You don't have to be able to physically hit somebody. You can knock the wind out of their sails just using words. And they can do more damage. You know, a physical punch, a bruise will heal. But the words, try forgetting words. You can forget the punch. But the words, when somebody calls you something or tells you you're useless and they use a word that's 15 letters long, you don't forget that word. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you can do more damage with words than you can the other way, at, at least psychologically. Yeah. Yeah, physically you can break bones, but the other way. So maybe Jamie was really in the potpourri, or maybe it was a bit of a defense <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> but... <laughs> but that's when I knew he was smart. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just been an uphill climb from there. He's, yeah. He still has new words he throws around all the time oh i know he does struggling to keep up makes me want to get a dictionary and learn a new one every day and just throw it at him i know imagine (laughs) playing scrabble with him (laughs) well just because he can say them doesn't mean he can spell them (laughs) fair enough (laughs) you know you, you spoke about school a little bit and jamie's talked quite a bit 
about his school times, like growing up in high school, and he shared a lot of memories about school life and his teachers. How do you think Jamie's teachers would have described him? I'm not sure, Anthony. Um, Any of the parent-teacher nights that we ever went to, they all commented on um, how smart he was. Mm-hmm. Um, how would they have described him? Do you think he was one of those students that was sitting in the front of the class absorbing any, everything? Was he at the back goofing around with his friends? I don't know. They all recognized that he had something going for him, but um, I honestly don't know how to answer that one. They probably wouldn't have words big enough to describe it because he would have a longer, bigger word. <laughs> well, actually, some of his, um, one of his teachers recognized his writing ability, and this was when he was in high school. And she had said to him, whatever you do in life, please don't stop writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But writing those stories for Jamie, they were amazing, but he was a, he's a perfectionist in many ways. And yes. when you're a perfectionist, things don't always flow so easy because you want it to be perfect. And um, his writing was pretty guard, but he worked very hard at it, too. He had one teacher in high school. Uh, Jamie dropped his class, and he went up to him and said, I'm sorry you didn't find my class interesting. Interesting. <laughs> That didn't have anything to do with that. Jamie couldn't stand the teacher, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, it's clear that he's always been smart. He's always had a lot for you to be proud of and still is, even more so maybe now. But when he was a kid, did you have any idea of what you thought he was going to do or be like when he grew up? No. Actually, um, I guess as a mother, I always knew that he would be successful at whatever he did, but success is subject to your own interpretation. So um, computers were always a good, I guess computers always seemed to fall into that where I thought he might go. But no, um, at one point I thought maybe he would have ended up um, teaching. That was another thing in high school that he did. And he connected really good with, with the students. And so at one point, I thought maybe he would have been a teacher, but um, there was also that computer thing going on that I thought he might end up doing too. So, yeah, he would make a great teacher, partially because he's so good at speaking and, and writing that articulation would be very handy when it comes to teaching an idea to someone who doesn't understand it. When you have the toolbox of language, that Jamie has, it yeah. must make it, it would make it a lot easier to affect. Uh, Jamie's also very patient. Right. And when he's teaching, not always with his mother, because I'm his mother. And, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he is very patient when he is trying to explain something to someone. Um, mm-hmm. But he's doing what he loves, and that's programming. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. yeah and he he's good it. at it. Yeah, he's good at it. Yeah. 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 So how about you, Anthony? What did you think you would be? What did I think I would be? Yeah. I was one of those kids who had a different idea of what I would be every week. I I thought I was going to be an architect for a long time. I really wanted to design buildings and make spaces accessible. Yeah. 
I really wanted, and then I, I went and I thought about teaching for a while. I, I really wanted to be a teacher. Then I wanted to be an artist, like doing graphic design and illustration for a long time. I applied to do industrial design, which is basically just like making products. Yeah. But I ended up having a conversation with the instructors of that program and they basically said we can't legally tell you that you can't take this course because of your disability but it would be very difficult for you to get the concepts that we're trying to teach you without being able to physically interact with some of these materials he was like it, it would kind of be like learning to be a chef but only theoretically. And he was, I, I see your face, you're kind of like shocked. And I was kind of appalled when I first heard it because, you know, it's always devastating when someone tells you, like we were talking about earlier, when someone tells you that you can't do something, yeah. you don't want them to be right. But at the same time, he did approach it very empathetically, I think. Like he, he definitely seemed to want me to succeed, but just also realize that my limitations would make it very difficult for me to participate fully. And I think also just difficult for them to teach me what I needed to know. So I ended up not getting into that program anyway. Maybe my portfolio wasn't good enough, or maybe they just didn't see it as a good fit. But I always knew I wanted to do something artistic. And then computers were a good option for me, just like they are for Jamie. And I think it's because they're just accessible to me. Yeah. I can make them work for me. Yeah. I use them from a young age to communicate with my friends, to do assignments. To So I, I got good at computers. And so I found a way to merge that artistic passion that I have with computers and yeah. do artistic computer stuff. So. It ended up working out, but I was one of those kids that was all over the place. Every week I had a new idea. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, well, I thought about being a social worker, but then I realized that um, I didn't think I had the patience to handle every aspect of social work. So um, I was one of these um, students that when I was in high school, I knew there was a big wide world out there. And I wanted to be a part of it. And so I didn't concentrate on getting a really a university education or a college education. I took and got a job that gave me the ability and the affordability to uh, travel within Canada and do the things I wanted to do and live quite comfortably. So that's what I did. And so I didn't really have a um, a career career, as in social worker, nurse or nurse or anything like that. But I had a great working life. Uh, yeah. And I ended up working at the hospital and I worked all over. And I really, really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. But life was good, you know? I mean, I, I could live in one city, move to another city and get a job doing what I did, which then was data entry. And data entries, uh, clerks are always paid quite well. Uh -huh. So 
that's what I did. Then when I settled down, I ended up at the hospital. And I had a great career at the hospital, flitting from department to department. It was great. Well, again, though, I think that speaks to your philosophy, which I really admire. And it's sort of just enjoy yourself, enjoy life, take it easy. Everything's going to be okay. And that seemed to, you know, permeate through your whole life. It's gone through to your kids. It sounds like it was a conscious decision for you at the time to just choose a job that gave you that ability to enjoy life and not focus on the rat race or, you know. It seemed like you uh, very much were choosing lifestyle over career check marks. Uh, yeah, I guess I was. And I also wasn't into possession. Mm. That I've had a very good, and led a very good, comfortable life. I have... Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't all that important to me. It wasn't important to me to live in the penthouse when I could live just as comfortably on the first floor, that sort of thing. Um, the guy up there had ulcers and everything else. I didn't. So that was sort of, you know, all that stuff is just stuff. Yeah. And, and when you die, it ends up in the dump or it ends up in one of those, um, used stores, secondhand stores. Yeah. So. What was the point yep. when you had could have a really, really good life and still live on the main floor? That's what I did. Your philosophy is so much, I really, really feel like you and my parents think the same way. <laughs> it's very refreshing, honestly, because the way you talk about all of this stuff is very similar to how when I have these conversations with my parents, they respond the same way. They're just like, you know, like I, I'll tell them I got a new job and I'm excited about it because, you know, it's good benefits or whatever. And they're like, okay, but are you happy? Are you going to have time to see your friends on the weekend? Like, those are the questions. They don't care how much money I'm making or how, and they, they instill that in me. And I think it really helps me not focus on just like you said, the things that don't matter, the things that you can't take with you. Yeah, there are only things. Yeah. You know, um, I think making memories. Yes. And, and, and enjoying time with friends or uh, just alone time. Jamie's sister loves to sit in a dark room. She says it just feels so good yeah. and doesn't cost anything to sit in a dark room. Yeah, I had this friend in university when I moved to Ottawa. I was very focused on breaking free because I'd lived in this sort of what I felt was a sheltered life growing up until that point. Lived in a small town in a home that, in a city that wasn't accessible. So like, you know, it wasn't very easy to go out and do stuff and have all these experiences. I missed prom, those kinds of things. When I went to Carleton to university, I had in my mind that I was going to make up for lost time and do all these things and (laughs) live for the story. And I remember one of the first good friends I made at Carleton, we had planned to go out and we we got together, we started hanging out, and then we ended up getting caught up in like a conversation or something. And we were just enjoying each other's company. And a few hours went by and I was like, oh, 
should we hang out? We were supposed to go to this party or bar or whatever. And he's like, who cares? Like, why why do you care about living for the story so that tomorrow you can tell people what you did? Why not just live for the experience so that tomorrow you can tell people how you felt? And for him to say that to me was like a switch flipped in my head. And I realized from that moment on that I really needed to focus on living for the experience, living for, you know, being connected to the people around you, because that is really, really what it's all about. It is. Yeah. Okay. Another question for you. I think this is a fun question because, again, we are a movie podcast. Maybe a tricky (laughs) question. Maybe something you've thought about. If there was a film adaptation of your life, who would the actors be playing the different characters in your life and why? A film adaptation of my life? Of your life. So it could be just you. It could be you and Jerry and Jamie and Sarah. It could be the whole... It could be a, a, a portion of your life. It's really up to you. But who, well, first of all, who do you think would play you? <laughs> oh, hmm. Meryl Streep. Oh, that's actually such a good choice. You also, her, she, you, you guys look similar. She could play <laughs> you. Oh, that's a great choice. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, who would Jerry be? Um, oh, Jane, I don't know who would play Jerry. Um, uh, what's his name? Oh, not Anthony. Um, I love this guy. He was in, what was the name of that movie? No Place for Old Men? Tommy Lee Jones. Who was the guy? The sheriff. Wasn't it the yeah. sheriff that was chasing him? Wait, you mean No Country for Old Men? Old Country for Old Men, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones was in it. Wasn't he in it? Wasn't he the old man? Yeah, I think so. That's the only one I could I could think of that could play Jerry. Okay. Um, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, who could play Jamie? I have to be a smart ass. Yeah. A smart, smart ass. Jeez, Anthony. It's tough, eh? Names are escaping me. Um Do you know do you have someone in mind? Well, it would have to be somebody. You know, it's one of those things where they're there. But they're not, you know, they're right there, you know. Yeah, but you can't fully picture. No, I can't. Okay, so let's think about it this way. You are the casting director. What are you looking for in the person to play Jamie? To play Jamie. Smart ass, you've covered that. Um, see, I like, um, I saw him today, um, but he's an older guy. Um, he's, um, oh my gosh. What's his name? I'm not good at names either. I'm terrible at names, but he's an older, he's an older actor. And I say this because he's a character. I, I think he's, he's. Is there a movie he's in? Um, God, I really like him too. He always plays the, the bad guy, the criminal. Okay. That's a good start. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I can't think of his name. Oh. Is there? Is he in a movie? Did you see a movie with him? Well, in it? one of his his movies was. Oh, I know. He was a painter. He he was his his job in the movie was a painter, but he wasn't a painter. He was actually a hitman, and he was also a carpenter, which meant that he climbed up 
He cleaned up after he hit. He painted doors red. Oh, Anthony. Oh. Um, I feel like I've seen this movie. Oh, I'm sure you have because um, um, Pesci's in it. Um, Al Pacino's in it. There's Pesci, Al Pacino. Um, and this guy is a painter. Well, that's what he says he is. He's actually a hitman. Um, is it like a newish movie or an oh. old movie? Al Pacino plays um, the guy that went missing in Detroit, the big union guy. He plays him. Pesci is, oh, my God, I can see the guy standing there. This is frustrating. If Jamie was here, he'd know in a minute. Yeah, he would for sure know. Yeah, he would. Um, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro is the guy? Yep. That would say Jamie? Well, now, if you're looking for a young kid, obviously not Robert De Niro. No, I'm okay with this decision, but talk me through it. Um, the dis- Robert De Niro is, I, I, I picture him always as the strong, kind of silent guy, uses few words, but very effective words, um, gets the job done quietly, and off mm-hmm. he goes. And that, to me, would be who would play Jamie. Oh, this is such an interesting choice. Oh, I love this. Because I can't think of an actor that would be age-appropriate to play Jamie. Well, that doesn't matter, I don't think. But Robert I... De Niro, I think, could pull off the 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 quick the 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 wit, the yeah. efficiency, the words, and do it without call, calling a lot of attention to himself. Right. That would be Jamie. Oh, uh, I would love to see that. Yeah, but I, I um, Sarah would have to be. Um, yeah, what if it's Sarah? Sarah, I know. Sarah, who would play Sarah? We haven't had her on here yet, so our listeners don't know much about Sarah. Who would play Sarah, James? Okay, let's go through the... You're the casting director. You're trying to find someone for Sarah. What are you looking for again? Um, oh, we see, Anthony. This is where I'm really bad, because there's there's a couple of British actresses Okay, that would be good at playing Sarah. Because Sarah is, is she's got a sense of humor, but she's serious. She's um, she's very kind. She's humble, emotional. There's a British actress, and I'll never remember her name. Do you remember something she's in? Who is she in? Oh, I think she was in that one. Uh, the girl, the face on the train, the girl on the train. No, this is the one where she starts off. She has a home. She has a um, a husband. A a child. Um, she she has some sort of nervous breakdown. She travels by train into the city all the time and then back again. Um, oh yeah, that is the girl on the train. I think is what it's called. Yeah, that uh, girl. Can't think of who she is. So. Is that Emily Blunt? I can see her. I'm so terrible with names. I mean, my favorite shows. I could never tell you the actor or actress's names. I could tell you. Emily Blunt definitely is the girl in the girl on the train. So maybe that's her. Do you remember the movie? She drinks too much. She ends up in the city. She loses the... It's really, really good. I don't know if I've seen this movie. The husband ends up marrying somebody else. Oh, no. The the, the child isn't hers. She, they don't, her and her husband don't have children. So he remarries somebody else. They have a child. 
but she travels by train all the time and she they goes right by their backyard and she can see right into their bedroom. Is it the face no, it's not the face of the bedroom. I don't know. I don't think I've seen this movie. But it's not that old. Yeah, I know. It, uh, it's like maybe five, six years. Yep. Whoever that girl is, I can picture her playing Sarah. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. All right, so you've cast a full movie now. <laughs> I love it. I love... I'm still thinking about Robert De Niro playing Jamie because I kind of love movies where they're cast against age. I'm sorry to interrupt, Anthony. There's also that other guy. It was, he was a, a computer geek. Oh, there was a whole series. Oh, what was it? Mr. Robot? Yes. Remy Malik. That guy, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting choice, too. Yeah, yeah, him. Oh, yeah. these are both good choices. I like yeah. the Robert De Niro choice because Jamie often does impressions. And he often does impressions on the podcast, and he's never done an impression of Robert De Niro. But Robert De Niro is a very impressionable guy. Lots of people do Robert De Niro impressions. So based on this conversation, I'm now going to start pressuring Jamie to start working on a Robert De Niro impression. Good one, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, he does a lot of impressions. There you go. Did you know that? Did you know Jamie does all these impressions? Yeah, he used to do them. Um, he well, he does a great Tony Soprano. Um, oh yeah. He used he used to do them all the time, and um, uh, actually, with um, some um, a friend of ours, the two of them would go into their accents and start talking, and it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Jamie's very good at that. He is. That's just another thing he's good at. But he is good at that, and it's, he's uh, he's funny. He actually does an impression of Jerry. Oh, yes. And it's so right on. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's a bit of a recurring theme. Jamie's done that impression maybe an average of once per episode. Really? And it's very good. He is. He's good at impressions. He always was. He's had a good year for uh, languages and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do any impressions? Do you do an impression of Jerry? No, I can't do an impression of Jerry. No? Do you do an impression of Jamie? No. Not even when you guys are like hanging out, maybe just poking fun at each other at the dinner table? Oh, well, yes. We do do that, and we go into, well, yes, Anthony, but we always have accents <laughs> when we do that. And <laughs> uh, they're fun, but um, it's very impromptu. He'll say something, and I'll respond with an accent, and then he starts with an accent. <laughs> and and then we just kind of run with it until until we have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do do that. That's pretty Oh, gosh, fun. I'd forgotten about that, Anthony. <laughs> it's fun. That yeah. is fun. Yeah. But I wouldn't do those accents or those impressions on any on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair, like, even it took a bit for Jamie to warm up to the idea of doing Tony Soprano, which is arguably 
the one he's best at and most confident with. Yeah. But once he first did it, all bets were off. Then he did it all the time after that. Yeah. 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 It definitely takes a bit to get that first one under your belt. Yeah. He used to, um, whenever we had friends over and we'd all had a couple of drinks, including Jamie, he becomes quite the entertainer. Oh, yeah. As he says, he just relaxes and finds it easy to be silly and he has a great time but he doesn't drink anymore so right well neither do we not that we're alcoholics actually but (laughs) we just don't yeah yeah that's fine y'all have sometimes it's good to give something up speaking of giving something up why don't you like cats maureen why is it so hard what is jamie gonna have to do for you to let him get a cat I love cats, Anthony. <laughs> I had a cat. We had a cat, Will. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can become extremely emotional about them. Right. She was very special. Yeah. And I'm not ready for another cat yet. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Willow was, well, let's not go down that road. Yeah. When I'm ready, there will be a cat. Well, we all know I joke quite a bit about mailing you a cat uh, because (laughs) Jamie desperately wants a cat and so it's been a bit of a recurring joke and Mm -hmm. that was maybe the number one question that people sent in to me was asking you about cats because we've talked about it a hilarious amount of times on this podcast (laughs) because you know obviously you love Willow, Jamie loved Willow. Yeah. And so yeah. having that, and, you know, I I didn't ask that to try to bring up the loss of Willow uh, more as a joke, but it, there, there still is a, a group of people out there plotting to get Jamie a cat. <laughs> well, um, there will be a cat one day. Yeah. Um. But you see, we have neighbors that have two cats, Harriet and Betty. Okay. And Harriet and Betty come visiting, and then they go home. And I don't have to worry about Harriet or Betty. They just go home. Right. But um, in time, there'll be another cat. Okay. Actually, it's a toss-up between a cat or a dog. Oh. Um, Because we have always had pets. Always. Jerry and I got Isaac. I think the first year we were married, then Isaac was getting old. And so we brought in Phoebe, who was a very small dog. And Jerry called a rat, an overgrown rat. And it was Isaac, who was a yellow lab, a great big, and, you know, they never grow up. And then we got this cute little fluff ball and um, she was around. And then Isaac, Isaac left us. And Phoebe took over and was quite happy. And then Willow came in and Willow and Phoebe kind of fought and Willow disappeared in the house. She was hardly ever seen. And then Phoebe had to be, had to be put down and then Willow came out of hiding. So, and I'm serious. She actually came out of hiding (laughs) and um, she started saying hello to people and coming in whenever there was company and this was something she never did before. When it, the doorbell rang, Willow disappeared. And you didn't see her until they left again. And then once Phoebe was gone, Willow 
never left. I mean, she hmm. was out all the time. And she she was she was very interesting. I'm probably gonna bore you to death with cat stuff, but no. you know, I mean, you could almost talk to Willow for God's sakes. Yeah. Um, and she'd start meowing back. But then she got really sick. Yeah. But um eventually, Anthony, eventually. Eventually, I'll quit returning the packages to you. Yeah, I've mailed you at least a dozen cats. I know you have, and none of them have reached the front door. Yeah, they just keep getting lost in the mail somehow. I know, I know, floating around out there somewhere. (laughs) Just (laughs) a pile of cats in boxes somewhere. I know, I know. So there you go. Well, I know you love cats because every single time I say hi to you, your first question, before you ask how I'm doing, your first question is, how's Jack, my cat? <laughs> I know, Jack is really cool. I met Jack. Uh, He's a cool cat. <laughs> and you're really cool too, Anthony. But, oh, thanks. Um, but, you know, Jack has become, if Anthony's around, Jack has is around. If if you say, how's Anthony, you've got to ask how Jack is. Because yeah. it's one and the same kind yeah. of thing even though it's not. And even if you don't ask how Anthony is, you still ask how Jack is. Yes. It's really important that Jack is okay. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> I took him to the vet the other day and they told him, they told me he was, they, they said he's not fat, but we wouldn't want him to gain any more weight, which I think is just a very polite way of saying he's fat. I had a vet tell me that Willow was large. Uh-huh. I was extremely offended. Yeah. What are you <laughs> supposed to do? Like, well, feed them less? They sleep all the time. Oh, for God's sake. He's not I doing mean, exercise. It's ridiculous. We had uh, Phoebe and Willow at the bed at the same time. Uh-huh. And Phoebe gets on the scale, and she was like nine pounds. Uh-huh. And then poor Willow gets on the scale, and she was like 15, 16 pounds. And I'm thinking, oh, for God's sakes. Uh-huh. This is ridiculous. Yeah. They were both happy, well-adjusted animals. Are we going to mess with the animals and insist they be skinny, like yeah. mess with people's heads and tell them they're not cute or they're lesser because they have a few extra pounds? You're not doing that to my animals. My yeah. animals are just fine. I'll find another vet with a better attitude. <laughs> find a more accepting vet. Yes. Exactly. I, I mean, I tried. I, I like... I went on and bought Jack some toys that would hopefully get him running around a bit more. He doesn't care. No matter what toys I get him, he just wants to sleep. Well, Willa was the same. She was not into toys. She could have cared less. Yeah. Yeah, all Willa wanted to do was either, well, well be with her humans once the other animals got out of the house. Uh-huh. And she was happy. So, I don't know. There yeah. you go. Well, I have one final question and cats came in second to this question this question was asked way more than every other question now a little while ago jamie told us all an anecdote about some sex in a pan that you made and he talks pretty highly about desserts that you make (laughs) and sex in a pan was a funny one because it's a funny name, but also a delicious dessert. Yeah. So sex in a pan and your desserts have become a bit of a recurring theme. 
So people have asked if you are willing to share a family favorite dessert recipe. Sure. But that would be the one that we have the most now is is sex in a pan because it's the easiest. Perfect. That is the the fan favorite. So it is, yeah. Well, it is. Um, Jamie's um I, I must admit when it when it comes to Thanksgiving, Jamie's um grandmother, although she does like the sex in the pan, grandma likes um pumpkin pie. Okay. Yes. Oh, the other thing that they really like is grandma's lemon tarts because she makes lemon butter. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds delicious. She uses lemons, not the lemon mix thing that you can buy, the lemon pudding or whatever it is. She makes it from scratch. It's delicious, Anthony. I've sort of become known based on our conversations around dessert I'm not really a big dessert guy. I can kind of take or leave sweets. But anytime Jamie talks about sex in a pan, (laughs) it makes me a little bit of a dessert guy. And those lemon tarts also sound delicious because I do love lemon desserts. They're not as sweet. So they're perfect for me. Like a lemon cake or a lemon... It's like dessert, lemon meringue pie. So good. Oh, I like a lemon meringue pie. Oh, so Yes. Good. Oh, my God. Or the little lemon tarts with the meringue on it. Oh, my God. Yes. <gasps> Jamie's grandmother used to make those. she make the lemon filling. She's 100 now. Okay. So grandma will make the lemon filling. She doesn't do the whole tart shell thing anymore, but she'll make up the lemon filling and you can pick that up and you can make your own tarts with that mm-hmm. um yeah they're delicious my mouth is watering just thinking about that oh they're good anthony but more big desserts you gotta have that little piece of dessert after supper you know what i mean you gotta have that little sweet i've heard that that is a necessity in your household well it my is. family never had that no it was like friday friday night maybe we get dessert Oh, no, every night when I was oh. growing up. Oh, no, every night. <laughs> we would say, Mom, what's for dessert? And based on that right. was how much you ate it in your main meal oh. because you had to have room for dessert. Right. <laughs> Always dessert. Actually, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Every night of the week, we had dessert. Well, that just goes to show that you are a good mom. And you're actually wearing an apron right now. Because you were in the kitchen. I was. I was. Were you making sex in a pan? No, I was not. I left it on after I had made supper. Oh, okay. So are you willing to talk us through your sex in a pan recipe? I can do that, Anthony. Yeah, let's do it. You want to do it right now? Yeah. Oh, well, all right. The crust on the bottom, you can do that a couple of ways. You can do the graham cracker crust which everybody knows is grain crackers and melted butter mixed together, pat it down. Or you can do the other one, which is um, a cup of flour, cup of crushed pecans. Oh, yes, I know. It's delicious. That thing. Mm. And butter, melted butter. You mix it all up and you pat it down in the pan, stick it in the fridge. You can put it in the oven for a bit and then you let it cool. Then the next layer is 
one eight, I think they're eight ounce things of cream cheese. Mm-hmm. If you want it healthy, you buy the light cream cheese that has less fat in it, right. the light one versus the other one. And there's mm-hmm. no difference in taste. So you can be healthy. And I don't put the amount of sugar that it calls for in that because you really don't need it. So I probably put a few tablespoons of sugar in that and you beat it up, whip it up really good, the cream cheese. And then if you want to be healthy, you buy the light, light, frozen, cool whip, you push light thaw, and you take about half of the large tub and you mix it in with the cream cheese, the light cream cheese. So you've got light cream cheese, you've got light cool whip, got a little bit of sugar. Oh, and you can put some vanilla in it if you like. Um, and then, then you get your instant chocolate pudding. Mm-hmm. Now you can either use two of the chocolate puddings, the small packages, and it's very chocolatey, or you can get a chocolate one and a vanilla one, and you mix that up with, and um, you know, I think it's three cups of milk. And you mix it till it starts to thicken, and you put it on top of the cream cheese mixture. You let that set. And once that's all nice and set, you get out the cool whip, and you beat that up, and then you put it on top of that. Got you just delicious. It's also known as a Robert Redford cake. Really? Uh, seriously. So if you're looking up the recipe on the internet, you can either put in sex in a pan or Robert Redford, because I, I think the original name was Robert Redford. I think. Yeah, that's definitely a less fun name. I, I don't know why Robert Redford. I guess everybody thought he was sexy. I never did, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, now I am very hungry. Even despite my sweet tooth, all my lack of a sweet tooth, I really want sex in a pan. It's very good. When you put the bottom with the flour and the crushed pecans it's almost like a shortbread with the butter it's nice i love shortbread. yeah yes i love shortbread yes well maureen this was so fun i had a great time talking to you (laughs) i have i've learned so much there's so much more i know there is to learn but i've already taken up so much of your time I've taken you, literally pulled you out of the kitchen. You're still in your apron. It's time to let you go. But I want to thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. I would love to do it again. Um, Is there any way for people to get in touch with you if they want to? Is there, do you have... Some words, like if I know there are going to be fans out there, or at the very least, there are going to be people wanting to discuss sex in a pan with you. <laughs> is that something that people can? Is there a way people can find you? They can find me through Jamie. Yeah, or you guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I would rather do it that way than put out. That's fine. Anybody that wants to talk to me, they can get to me through you guys. Yeah. Okay. So reach out to us on on Instagram, and we will put you in touch. But again, Maureen, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I had such a good time. And happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was fun talking to you too, Anthony. 
Well, thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Good night.